This is Death by DVD, and I am your host, Harry Scott Sullivan. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. On this episode, we are paying our respects to one of the most legendary badasses of all time, Henry Silva. Henry passed away September 14th, 2022, just one day shy of his 95th birthday, and we are going to honor the legend by talking about some of our favorite Silva movies. With me, fresh from the Queen's Q, it's the Linus Fitness Center. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you fucker. Figured you've been standing there for days, you know, out, out in the corner. No, I, I, jump, I jumped the queue. I did a fucking Philip Schofield and, like, just fucking bum-rushed the show, man. I think it would have been a lot more productive if they had maybe disassembled the Queen and had parts of her all around London so the queue could have kind of moved a little bit smoother. But apparently some old lady in England died. It's all over the news. I don't know why it's on American news because after... 1781 in the Battle of Yorktown, we shouldn't have to hear anything about monarchs or the royal family, but... Well, or they could have done, like, what the uh, the royals did to the last actual Prince of Wales and uh, put a head on a stick and paraded it through uh, throughout the town. At best, she was, like, maybe a nice old rich lady on the TV, uh, but, you know, at worst, and probably in reality, she was a, a figurehead for an outdated um, institution which reinforces and perpetuates horrendous uh, class divides in our ridiculous little island. It's, it's not often that you can have a leg up being an American, but there is one thing I can say about yeah. this country is we didn't fucking vote for any queen. So <laughs> at, at least well, we've no got fucker that. did. <laughs> Apparently I'm, I'm really sad. That it's, 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 oh, it's a tragedy. Oh, like fucking, like the fucking Google search engine was black and white for a fucking week because some 96 year old lady died. Jesus fucking Christ. Why couldn't they do that when Harry Dean Stanton died or Henry exactly. Silva? You know, I mean, some people of actual uh, importance here, the, the, they, they keep saying, I keep hearing it on the news, that a new king has been crowned, and the only fucking king I know of is Henry Silva. That's the Hell only yeah. king right right now in all of our hearts and minds that, that truly is important. And I don't have any hate against old sausage fingers. I don't like his kid fucker brother that much, but what are you going to do? I mean, kid fuckers are everywhere. As an American, we can truly talk about that because apparently... <laughs> According to the internet and the 45th president of the United States of America, we have kid fuckers at pizzerias that, that use their flesh and blood for satanic rituals and powers. It's all over the place. It's rampant. It's, it's a batshit wild world. Uh, I think the, the big thing is, is no politician, no world leader, I don't care how nice they are. I don't care if they like corgis. 
they're not good people, and it's not coming from a place of, you know, uh, being a rebellious teenager. Fuck the system. No, really, fuck the system, though. You, you kind of have to keep that in mind, and just because John Lydon is crying doesn't mean that it really matters. Fuck him, too. Oh, God. Go and eat some fucking butter, you little fucking cunt. She was a nice lady. That's my John Lydon. I wasn't even English. It wasn't. <laughs> it sounded like Jerry Lewis. Yeah, but it's been. It, it's such a weird week. It, it, the the last few weeks of September because all of this has happened, and the only thing I've really been able to find myself caring about is the fact Henry Silva died. That's been the one thing that actually upset me. Of oh, you got to be kidding me. He was old as shit, but he he still had some life. He could have gone on a couple more years. Yeah, and it's weird because. Um... Last week, I watched Il Boss for no particular reason other than it's great. And uh, then on his birthday, one of my friends posted an image of him. And I was like, oh, shit, is he okay? And he was just posting for his birthday. But little did we know, it was already too late. You know, right around the same time, I believe, if not the same day, Cristobal Hodorowski also uh, passed away very, very young. He was 57. Late 50s, but still fairly, fairly it's young. F- fucking young, yeah. It's not 96, is it? Jesus. And still, with, with the tragedy, I mean, uh, Silva died one day before his, his 95th birthday, and we're, we're going to say on one corner he had some life to live. The Queen, I don't know. I, she could have finished in the 80s. It would have made a difference. Like Nelson Mandela. Some people swear he's been dead since the 80s. <sighs> Queen's been dead to a lot of people since the 80s, especially the Irish and the Welsh. <laughs> Fuck the lot of those cunts. Like, let's not waste any more fucking air on that fucking family of fucking rich mutants. And the uh, the, the really good thing is most of our UK audience are, are friends and family of yours, so it's not like we're going to lose anybody talking. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's actually going to be Americans that go, well, that was disrespectful. I couldn't believe <laughs> Death by DVD did that to the Queen. That's terrible. But yeah, you 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 move on and you live, unless you're the Queen, of course. And we're moving on and living in in the great triumphant honor of Henry Silva. You're bringing up Il Boss. It's one of the movies we're going to be talking about. Uh, one of the movies on our list tonight I had never seen, which which is always kind of dodgy, not knowing what you're getting into. But it's Euro crime, Italian Euro crime, starring Henry Silva. So nine times out of ten, it's going to be at least three and a half to a five star movie. I don't think anything he made, and this is questionable. I'm sure many people would disagree. But in his his lengthy career working and shooting and living in Italy, I don't really think he made a, a bad movie. I mean, sure, yeah, bad, quote unquote. But he made a lot of films, and I can't say I've seen all of them, but I've enjoyed all the ones I've seen. His career is is a very, very storied career. He's played about every race under the sun. He's been a black man, a Mexican. He's been a Spaniard. He's been Italian. He's been American. He he's He's played everything. Tortured Dean Martin and some old Westerns. And his start really came in the 1960s with exploitation Westerns and moved forward after that. An incredible amount of TV gigs. The guy just worked nonstop. And in the the 1960s, he he got an offer to move and work in Italy for Italian filmmakers and made a 
prolific amount of Euro crime films. For some of uh, very storied directors that we've talked about on the show before, he I'm pretty sure he worked with Umberto Lenzi and Joe D'Amato, yep. did just everything. I don't know if he ever specifically go until maybe the 80s got really, really doing like exploitation horror, but some of the movies he made in the 1970s are the most bloody, violent, beautiful, uh, soundtrack, thumping, packed movies of all time. I mean, this he made he made the movies that inspired Quentin Tarantino to make movies. Yeah, well, I, I guess he moved with uh, what was in the uh, zeitgeist of Italian cinema as it sort of moved from uh, Polizia Tecci and Gialli into uh, horror and stuff in the 80s. But yeah, all of the Plezio Tecci movies that I've seen that he's in are fucking rad, as you say. And he, he specifically plays almost the same character every time. He never mm. talks. He's going to smack a woman around a few times, and then he's going to fuck. <laughs> Maybe not that same woman, but he, he's, he beats women, fucks, and kills people. And they hired him for that same character over and over and over and over again. And I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm not joking about violence against women. But you are looking at 70s Italian exploitation films, and I, I do think it really shows what they thought of women at the time, which is incredibly troubling. I oh, mean, yeah. really, really dark, uh, misogynistic stuff that is hard to cover up, but a lot of that is what makes these movies because you can't look away from it. It's it's horrible, and you're like, well, he's our hero. Why is our hero doing this? And you get to this point where you kind of plateau and realize there are no heroes. You're just watching this incredibly violent story. It's just, it's another day in the, the mafia in Italy. And most of them are very mafia-centric. Um, I, I think everything we're talking about on this episode will be a mafia film. Speaking of the uh, misogyny, yeah, like some of these movies make uh, Lucio Fulci look like uh, like a Guardian columnist. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it really, really is perturbing at some points of, of just the consistency. And it's not specifically the films we're talking about in general, but the, the genre really didn't have any favor toward women. Women are always portrayed as, as weak or prostitutes. They just treat women like they're objects. Not as if they're a real part of the story or characters. And it it does get damning after a while where it makes it hard to watch multiple Euro crimes over, you know, throughout the period of a day because it it's not that it's you don't get desensitized to it. It just gets so ugly to a point that what do you you can't really complain. All these people are fucking dead. And it's nineteen seventies Italy, but shit. <laughs> It all kind of makes sense in in the, in the in the context of the time, not to excuse any of it. But um, I mean, uh, a lot of these movies are made in the period uh, referred to as the years of lead, where there was a lot of unrest and uh, crime and violence. So I guess they saw Dirty Harry and, uh, <laughs> and thought, like, that's what we need to do, and uh, made an entire genre of um, sort of right wing wank fantasies, basically. And it's always a really heavy plot, especially with the police officers. That I think almost every film we're going to discuss, the cops at some point mention, we need a police state. If it wasn't for politics, we'd have a police state. We should yep. be able to just nail everybody that's a bad guy. Uh, Il Boss has a really great sentiment of, fuck college kids. I hate college kids. Don't you hate college kids? <laughs> and it sounds kind of really silly when you watch it now, but in, in the specific period this movie was made in, communism was growing and fighting against fascism rampantly. Even people like Pier Paolo Pasolini, filmmakers were really getting into the mix of it. So all of these films are like 
straight laced. We're making this for the Italian people. We don't want no hippie college kids. We're gonna kill them all. All the prostitutes, all the queers, everybody. And that too, there is some vulgar language when it comes to anybody that is not portrayed as a straight character in these films. And it's it's ultimate machismo. And of course, none of that has to do with Henry Silva. It's not like he read these and went, man, that's the character <laughs> for me. He read these and went, you're paying me in cash, right? <laughs> well, there's... The, there are there are two characters for him generally in these films, uh, and and the, and the films we're talking about tonight sort of cover both of them. There's the uh, both of them are the uh, the sort of strong, silent Sicilian Terminator, but one is when he's on the side of the law, and uh, and he's uh, a more relaxed, dirty Harry, and up until the point where. Uh, He's just like, fuck it, I'm just going to go up to Thomas Millian and shoot him in the face. And then the other is the uh, the kind of Yojimbo, fistful of dollars, anti-hero, but with, uh, <laughs> with lashings of misogyny on top. There also seems to be a theme in uh, some of the movies we're talking about, but his 70s career in general, where he was portrayed as a fixer. And this this yeah. looks like and seems like it, it seems to be a theme in Italian movies, which again goes to uh, Italian Euro crime, Polizzi movies. I never can fucking say that word right. Poliziotecci. Poliziotecci movies. There we go. I got it right. Uh, in well, that era, is maybe. That, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> I don't know. I got it. If I got it right, I don't fucking know. It's like when I went to an Italian uh, sh- shop uh, deli the other day, and I was like. I wanted a specific type of pasta, and I was <laughs> I was googling the pronunciation so as not to look uh, foolish, and I was just like, oh, can I have uh, oh, fucking that one?" <laughs> We've we were branching out so much on Death by DVD. We went from two American hosts to now uh, coming soon. We have two Welsh hosts, so it's the UK invasion happening here. But maybe in in the next following year, we'll be able to to get a Sicilian or somebody who can finally <laughs> correct us on all of our fucking improper Italian. Because it's all of us. Not not a single one of us speak English even that well. Yet alone another language. <laughs> But it's uh, it seems like to me almost a, a a political notion inside of these movies on top of the the heavy politics of seventies Italy. You have a lot of political notion with the idea of this character being a fixer, and and what a fixer is is they've been sent over by the American mafia to take yeah. care of outdated Sicilian techniques because they can't handle things on their own, and it's it's a lot of proto-fascism at that point a lot of what these mafia characters stand for you you learn and are hinted at throughout the entirety of these films that they all work for the pope that the 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 papal see vatican city is where the mafia is truly led the government's in on it and they all want to go back to a police state sort of thing so they got to send over american mafiosos to clean up these problems because the bosses they they just won't act on it, and that pretty much translates to Henry Silva kills fucking everybody and fucks all their wives and smacks them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, does, it doesn't end that order too. Not well, not always. Sometimes he smacks them, then he fucks them, and never rapes though. I will give the the credit into the films that we are discussing. He he doesn't rape anybody. Oh, does he not? I thought he kind of like bum raped Barbara Boucher into a pig carcass that one time. Oh wait, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. And, and then he, and then he. Oh, I mean, he he smacked her around a lot, and then I don't know. Thereafter, I I I I wasn't sure that it was consent. 
Well, that's Cry of a Prostitute, and that that movie itself is a very particularly strange beast to get into because it doesn't seem like there's anybody specifically you want to root for. No one's nice. No one's a good person, but yet you are completely enchanted by what's on screen. And it's not Technicolor, but it has that, uh, and it's probably because the version that we have been watching is very old, but it has that kind of Technicolor charm, especially with the uh, the very bright red blood splatters. But that movie, to me, really seemed like somebody watched A Fistful of Dollars and went, yeah, that's great, but we need to make it more Italian. It, it needs more Italy in it. <laughs> it's like, uh, why a Clint Eastwood not rape a woman into a pig? And that's really, like, that's that's the entirety of the movie. You've got, uh, the dub is, is brilliant. I think Henry Silva's actually doing his own voice. I think that's that's him. And everyone else has this very Mario-esque, you know, the, the fucking video game character. It's me, Mario! Everyone is very pseudo-Italian. Not, not one Italian person probably worked on the dub. I, I highly doubt it. Probably a bunch of guys from Newark whose last names were, like, Chinsky or something like that. If you watch enough of these movies, you get to know the uh, the sort of the dub cast voices, <laughs> like doing the voices for like you know like hundreds of different actors, basically. That's sort of uh, an achievement I have felt I've unlocked in my life is when I'm able to sit down and watch an Italian horror film and recognize the voice of Nick Alexander or someone <laughs> of like I know who that is, yeah. Uh, and, and most of the time you'll be able to catch Nick Alexander because he does a lot of Al Cliver's voice throughout. I uh, gosh, almost every Fulci movie, um, but. Yeah, I guess we can start with Cry of a Prostitute since we've already started talking about it. Yeah, I guess so. And I just watched it, so it's the freshest in my mind. Uh, you've got Andrea Bianchi, who yes. is a terrible, terrible way of pronouncing that director's name. But they did Strip Nude for Your Killer, what the peepers saw, a lot of Giallo-esque, a lot of uh, slashers. Burial Ground. One of the most traumatic fucking Italian movies to sit through. He has a pretty storied career, so I was surprised. This is the one I had mentioned at the beginning of the show that I, I don't know if you'd seen it. I hadn't seen it before. I had not seen it before. I'd I'd, I'd heard uh, a lot about it. It's a uh, a big <laughs> a big film in uh, GGTMC circles. So it was exciting not only to see it, then see the guy who did this movie, and it it really is a. a a chaotic beast to kind of sit through because you you don't know who to root for and you you assume when you're being interjected into a movie and you're watching through this avatar of Henry Silva that at some point you're going to agree with him, you're going to like him. And what we've got is he's a Sicilian that lived and grew up in the United States and presumably has been working for the American mafia. He's been sent over to fix a problem and it it's a pretty fucking ghastly problem that Dead children are being killed, gutted, and packed with heroin to transport throughout the country. So, I mean, that's really the only point in the movie where you're kind of allowed to like Henry Silva because apparently his whole job was to come over here and find out what sick son of a bitch was doing this to the children. But then he, he just proceeds for the next hour and 40 minutes to kill people, beat up a bunch of women. He doesn't do anything particularly nice that you want to <laughs> to, to root for, but it's it's all... It's so emotionless that it's amazing at that extent because you, you, you're under the presumption that he's a good guy, but at the end of the movie, he's just another fucking... Now he's a mafia boss, so <laughs> we, we've learned nothing. For a lousy 25 bucks, some men think they can do anything just to hear the cry of a prostitute. 
Passion explodes like never before. Cry of a prostitute. You'll hear it echo in your blood. It's uh, it's weird because it being so close to uh, your jumbo fistful of dollars, you you're kind of expecting, right? So, so yeah. I, I mean, I think the movie wants me to like this guy, but then he he just did that. It was like, I don't know. He's kind. It's it kind of reminded me a bit like uh, yeah. He's, he's a bit like Sonny Chiba in um, in street in the Street Fighter, yeah, or. Uh, or, or Galgo thirteen or something. He's he's like, I don't know. He's he's a, he's a charismatic fucking psychopath. <laughs> I've got a, a a good one, but this is kind of a weird stretch. But it reminded me a bit of Max Rockatansky in in Mad Max Two: The Road Warrior. Mm. I've never felt that Max. He's not specifically a bad guy. But none of the shit that happened in that movie would have happened if he'd have just fucked off. His dog wouldn't have died. Everything would have been fine. But he kind of fucked that problem up. We can't know that the Lord Humongous wasn't going to let those people go. He said fairly, leave the gasoline, we'll walk away. He might not have killed them. I mean, he looks like the guy that would have shot them in the back. But <laughs> Max could have just fucked off. But he, you know, and it, that's really what makes... Ah, uh, yo, Jimbo, it's what makes a fistful of dollars. And I can't think of the name of the remake with Bruce Willis. That I'll Last remember. Man Standing. Last Man Standing, which uh, this one kind of fits a little bit closer with Last Man Standing because you, you don't hate Clint Eastwood in a fistful of dollars. You don't hate Toshiro Mifune and Yojimbo, but you kind of hate Bruce Willis in Last Man Standing because he's just <laughs> making the problem worse. He, and he, mm. th- his character is there to fucking drink. Hmm. So he's maybe more of a Henry Silva than we thought. That's kind of a, a, a neat thought to think about. Because never, we all know that that movie is a remake and where its source material came from. But the character is is the farthest from an Eastwood interpretation that you could get. I don't think Bruce Willis walked onto that set trying to do Clint Eastwood, but I could really believe he walked onto set trying to do Henry Silva. Is mm. it? It's it's kind of there with that strong silent type, and you think that's an easy role, but. Henry Silva, all, most almost all of his performances that I could name you, he doesn't speak much. He usually has a very terrifying posture. He comes off terrifying, and that's not easy work. That's He tells every story with his face, and most of these movies, he does a lot of his own stunts. When his ass gets thrown down a hill, it's fucking Henry Silva falling down that hill. There was no stunt guy. He was a, a, a rope-em, ride-em cowboy actor that went over to Italy and could do just about fucking everything. So it really makes... Uh, when you when you go back and you look at some of these performances, I can't think of the name of the Chuck uh, Code of Silence he did with Chuck Norris in uh, 1985. Hardly fucking speaks throughout that movie, but it's terrifying. You 100% believe that he's gonna slit your throat and pull your tongue out of the hole the whole time. Doesn't really say anything. Hey, I can talk to you. One day I would like to give you a gift of a Colombian necktie. <laughs> Very special. You slit the throat, pull out the tongue, and you, <laughs> it look beautiful. Yeah, and uh, and when he does say say stuff, he barely moves his face. It's uh, he's a fucking Sicilian Terminator man. 
That's the best thing about the end of Cry of a Prostitute. He gets his ass kicked, and we have this beautiful shootout, and he's just standing there. The the, the makeup even looks before its time. It looks like mm. they just took him out into a back room and punched him in the face a couple yep. times. Hardly speaking, and the mafia boss tells him, oh, do you believe in God? He says something back of, like, sometimes, and the guy tells him, well, I'll give you time to make the sign of the cross. And halfway doing so, he throws his hand out, and it's just this beyond Western, I hate using that as a reference because you've seen it so many times. You've seen people just get laid and shot out in the Western. But, I mean, this is like the Wild Bunch if you're going to make it a comparison to a Western. The end of this movie was just like, fuck this guy. He's a terrible person, but you found yourself clapping that he managed Mm. to kill all of these people. He's gone through all of this. And uh, you find out who was transporting, you forget about it too, though, the whole point of this movie was to, to uncover who's transporting heroin in the body of dead children. They talk about that for like three minutes at the beginning. You go like an hour without it, and then at the very end, they, they tie that shit back into a little bow, which is something complimentary about Italian films. Not uh, No plot detail's gonna go unnoticed at the end of the day. Some person's gonna tie that shit together, even if it's not the best tie-in. Yeah, even if it makes no fucking sense at all, uh, like uh, and Andrea Bianchi is not not known for narrative coherence, but uh, in terms of uh, crafting some batshittery, top marks. Yeah, this is one of those movies that you want to suggest to people, you want to tell them to watch, but it's sort of uh, watch at your own risk, sort of thing. Uh, I'm yeah. sure. It could be triggering. Uh, there, there is a great Oof. deal of violence against women in this movie. Oh, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you have anything, any triggers remotely in that field, then like leave well alone. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, dead kids. It's it's all over the place. It really makes uh, people were really really upset with David Lynch for Twin Peaks Volume Three or or Season Three, whatever the hell that was called. Because of the violence against women. So if that upset you, fucking steer clear of Cry of a Prostitute. It's even in the title. I mean, the movie's called Cry of a Prostitute. You know somebody's going to make her cry at some point. Which is fucking ironic, because it's the end of the movie. You figure out who the Cry of the Prostitute was. And I don't want to give that away, because it really <laughs> it, it is one of those... Absolutely iconic, beautiful things. And I said a little while ago, these are the movies that Quentin Tarantino makes he makes movies because he watched these you can fucking see half of kill bill in this movie you know mm-hmm. the, the the whistling 100 yep. percent comes from something like this and one of the movies we we i'll bring up but we're not going to to talk about it was originally on the list but silva just isn't the star of it the italian connection Oof, i man. really implore people to see that movie because if mm-hmm. you like pulp fiction in the least bit if and most people that's their favorite Quentin Tarantino film you have got to see the Italian connection even he has said before he created Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield 100% based on Henry Silva and um, it's Sergeant Rutledge and I can't think of his name the guy has such a beautiful name 2,000 years later Woodrow Wilson Woolwine Strode and he is an African-American actor that we can take a side note for a moment just to tell you, go check out his Wikipedia, go check out his IMDb, some of the greatest American westerns and Italian westerns. He's in Once Upon a Time in the West, he's in Sergeant Rutledge, as I mentioned, Boot Hill, The Professionals, so many movies, and one of the very, very first African-American actors to get mainline success and fight their way to the top of a studio. And... You will never think of Pulp Fiction the same way after you watch these characters. 
this I, I love it. I love it for that. It actually gives me a deeper appreciation of that movie because we all know I'm not the the biggest Quentin Tarantino guy on the planet. He's fine. I don't hate him. I just I I, I kind of like him as a person more than I like his movies. But I think Jackie Brown's fucking great. Uh, that's that's Jackie Brown. More, probably my favorite movie he's ever directed. Um, and we've discussed it before on the show. But True Romance is the the best Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh ever. yeah, yeah. It's, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's a fantastic <laughs> film. We miss you, Tony Scott. But I, I, I really agree with you. I, he, I can see him easily being, fucking ranting on this podcast and his podcast and ours. Yeah, it's it's going from the same place. We talk about a lot of the same stuff. Um, he's a really cool guy. I just, I'm not gonna sit and watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood ever again. I saw it twice. I saw it two times more than I thought I would fucking see it. Uh, I, I saw it once and slept through it once, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was all right. Long story short, Quentin Tarantino saved Sharon Tate's feet. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it, it, I'm I, I'm kind of sad that we didn't uh, pick the Italian connection because I thought with the films that we had, we'd pick one silver hero performance, one anti-hero and one villain. But we kind of got two anti-heroes and a hero that becomes a sort of anti-hero by the end. But then, oh, fuck it, we can throw in Italian connection. Well, I mean, like to be honest, it's a while since I've seen it. So, <laughs> like, um, yeah. But, well, uh, when we were texting about the film, you you had said something pretty apt about it that uh, it's more of a Mario Adorf movie that it's yeah. it's Henry Silva vehicle and he makes a lot of the movie fantastical, but equally so does Woody Strode and that movie is really soundtrack based. It's it's all about the colors. They're in Milan, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the entire planet, and you you take in the movie's filled with car chases and gunfights. And it's it's much more of as where the name comes from a French Connection style film that you don't focus on the characters you don't specifically like them like Popeye Doyle is a fucking bigot like he's a racist and they somehow did the French Connection two based on his character mm. trying to extend this bigot <laughs> this <laughs> shitty cop that fucking kills other cops spoilers for the French Connection and not even because they're bad cops because he has fucking bad aim. Like, that's that's the hero of this movie. So the Italian connection really has a, a similar flow with that. But you don't, I, I mean, you, you, you kind of are rooting for the, the hitmen and their fixers. They've come from the United States to, to solve a dilemma, and it's a caper. And that movie really relies on the, the comedic effect and timing of Mario Adorf than anything mm. else. So you, it, it's a good piece to mention, and I'm glad we brought it up because I hope people will go out and find it. It's it's superb. I mean, I I like the way. Uh, oh, here's a fucking stretch now. I I like the way um, Adolf kind kind of emerges as the protagonist through the movie, kind of like Ripley does in Aliens. Well, it it really does work that way though too, because when he's introduced to us, he's this pimp, and he's not a specifically mm. good pimp. He's kind of a 
a cheesy kind of shitty character. He seems like he doesn't treat his women right. Uh, he's he's not necessarily a good guy. And then they slowly move in the relationship with his family, and that his daughter has some sort of illness, and he's still trying to take care of her and give give his uh, baby mama money to make sure everything's okay. And you start really appreciating, like, this guy's just fucking down on his luck. And then when you learn his his, his conundrum, why he's in the situation he's in, it even uh, it gives you a deeper appreciation for it. So that's really like a fucking Shakespearean anti-hero story than anything, rising to the top to beat all of the afflictions given to you. And, and he never fucks Barbara Boucher into a pig, so... <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe I was like, I don't think he rapes anybody in any of these movies. And and it's fucked because I just finished watching that movie before we started recording. So I must have been looking away at that scene that I, 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 I saw when he beat the shit out of her. But I yeah, missed, missed the uh, sodomy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Uh, but yeah, I thought we're, uh, we're, uh, worth mentioning is uh, the other movie in... Well, I mean, they're all fucking worth mentioning. Like, there's so many great movies in this genre. But um, another one I saw recently is um, the first part of Fernando de Leo's uh, Milo trilogy, which is uh, which also includes Il Boss and The Italian Connection, uh, is Caliber 9, which has no silver, unfortunately, but has Barbara Boucher and uh, is a really great little sort of noir story. I skipped that one. I admittedly have not seen it. I was going to run through the whole trilogy, but when I saw No Silva, I went to myself, ah, I got I to gotta give Silva appreciation, which it, it makes it hard, especially if you're a streamer and you use something like Roku and you, you use that little vocal feature and you say, Henry Silva, and a bunch of movies pop up. Almost everything that pops up, he's in for like 10 seconds. And that's a lot of his career. He He's kind of like an Italian Dick Miller. He's appeared in, in dozens and dozens of movies, and there's a couple other guys that look like him, but he he is very specific. Like, it's, it's one of those things, it's a deep shame him and Chevy Chase didn't make more movies together. They have, he, he's like a tough guy Chevy Chase, I guess you could say. They have this really <laughs> bizarre face, and it's odd, as he got older, Henry just got a lot more menacing, and his face was able oh, to yeah. tell more stories, but as Chevy got older, he's... Stay puffed marshmallow man and and a bigot <laughs> talking about people that hate women and bigots Chevy Chase <laughs> I don't know if that's libel or not at this point I don't mean I don't want to get in trouble for calling Chevy Chase a bigot but uh, I'm not wrong I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not wrong don't tell me I'm wrong I, I'm thankfully thankfully ig- ignorant of uh, of that particular uh, subject they had to kill him on that TV show he was on, Community, because he kept pissing everyone off so much oh, so they right. killed his fucking okay. character off to just get rid of Chevy. I love that story, that you're you're that uh, abhorrent that they just kill you off of a fucking TV show to get rid of you. Uh, kind of like they God did with Chef on South Park over the uh, Scientology. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't disagree with that, but uh, I won't go any further because the last thing I'm going to fucking do is insult the Scientologist. I'll make fun of Chevy Chase because I'm not that afraid of him, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the type of money to say anything bad about the Church of Scientology on this show.
yeah, you were saying that uh, as Silver got older, he, he just, uh, his menace just grew, which was handy because he plays one of the villains in uh, Dick Tracy, a very minor part, but uh, he, he paid um, influence. And I have somewhere in my parents' uh, garage a Henry Silver action figure of that character. That's something you gotta you gotta pull out and put on the mantle. Oh yeah, it's funny he never actually made a film with Jack Palance. Uh, that that the the similarities between them and Chevy Chase that would have been a, a I mean they he he did work with Chevy. Well, did he? I think Jack Palance worked with Chevy Chase, and I'm getting it all fucked up now. <laughs> but all three of them doing something together would have been just tremendous. That it's it's really uncanny that there were three people that looked so similarly, but at the same time differently, living on this earth at the same time. And you gotta Google it. You gotta look up Jack Palance, young Chevy Chase, and then Henry Silva. Fuck! That was that was just like a family movie waiting to happen. But unfortunately, Jack Palance, Holy yeah, shit. he had some comedy chops. But I don't know if Henry Silva could have fucking stomached <laughs> a full comedy. Yeah, I, I just I just googled that, and the first uh, hit is, uh, uh, well, I'll give him a shout. Out. Mike Meltzer on Twitter, uh, Jack Palance and Henry Silva are big face bros, and fuck, I they are. Yeah, it's it's really really bizarre and and the younger like 1970s Henry Silva there are some sequences where you just kind of feel like you're watching a misplaced Chevy Chase movie where it's you're going <laughs> to laugh at some point and it never comes forward. It's it's a bizarrity and it's it's what's even weirder is uh ethnicity, which is a dangerous topic to bring up, but Henry Silva played I I said this at the beginning of the show absolutely every single race on this planet but his mother was from northern spain and his father was italian and he actually didn't even learn how to speak english until he was around eight or nine years old that italian and spanish were his first languages so moving to italy in the the 60s and 70s just i mean that had to be the greatest thing for him to be able to freely do what he he felt he was made to do he dropped out of school at like age 13 14 to pursue drama to to push himself to being an actor and he obviously had it i mean it's 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 something that i'm sure even as a child what else can you do with a face like that and i'm not trying to say that in a in a bad way but he's got an actor's face if there ever was one. Oh hell yeah like i mean he's like uh he's a very interesting looking human it's weird he ended up playing, and it, it's it's a definite plight on American cinema especially, that for years he played dozens of Mexicans, Native Americans, uh, all these archetype bad guys in, in, in shitty American Western films. And it, bringing up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he is kind of similar to the, the Leonardo DiCaprio character of you know kind of flatlining on the Western circuit and then going over to Italy to find some major success. And that's one thing I will give appreciation for that movie is I felt a lot of regular audience members, a lot of people that just like to watch movies because they like watching movies, got a little bit of education here and might fucking go out and watch an Italian Euro crime exploitation film because these are some of the most fun fucking movies. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who's good. It doesn't matter who's bad. Everyone's going to get shot. It's it's going to be filled with blood, and the soundtrack will be the fucking coolest thing you've heard all month. Oh, fuck yeah.
the, the one we've been talking about, Crime Busters, that whole movie just has this funky kind of slap bass sound effect, soundtrack that goes to it. You've got organs. It's it's everything that you want out of the 1970s. And you've got fucking um, Antonio Sabato. Not Antonio Sabato Jr. that we all know and hate, but Antonio Sabato. And these guys are playing off each other beautifully. The whole movie is about a paratrooper named Altieri, who is played by Henry Silva, who is realizing something is fucked up going on in his unit. They've got these really special machine guns that nobody else on the planet has, and some of his paratroopers are mysteriously dying, and he's given a promotion, which is pretty much a way of them saying, stop making trouble, and given an office job, where he, in the city, meets a detective, played by Antonio Sabato, and these two go on a... You know, there's, I'm trying to think of an American movie similar to it, but um, the the Danny Glover, Mel Gibson style movies that they they go on a caper with each other and they don't like each other. They're from different worlds. You've got these two alien buddy cop characters. That I mean, I mean, they're not fucking aliens from outer space, but alien to one another and their their cultures. One's military, one's a cop who is just hell bent on beating the mafia, and this is the specific movie I was referencing when it comes to conversations of the police state that Sabato at one point straight up says, like, yeah, if it wasn't for politics, we could just fucking go into people's houses and shoot them because they're bad guys. <laughs> and it's like a, a cheering thing. Like, he's saying that because you're supposed to agree with it in the movie, and it's fucking horrifying. Which comes back around as a sort of tragedy in the uh, finale. spoiler alerts bites you in the ass that's spoiler alerts for this movie that came out in 1976 uh this was the 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 one you want to yell at at the end of the movie but i couldn't think of a better way to end it that you go through this entire ordeal with henry silva they fucking kill his girl the one person he's been able to show emotion to he held her hand and then at the end of the fucking movie he had a really awkward emotionless sex scene with her but uh, like like all uh, females in Polizia Tachi movies, she has to first get raped and then get horribly killed. Yeah, there there was no happiness for her arc in the story. But her death is, is like in the last 15 minutes of the movie, and that's really where you get the Sicilian Terminator sort of thing. He yep. snaps at that point. He's even got that long brown coat that it, it's game time. Yeah, I mean, and like I said earlier, he does the same thing in Almost Human, but like it's, <laughs> it's Almost Human. It's right at the end, and it's so abrupt. It's just like... <laughs> I, I've just I've had it with the rules of this movie. I'm just gonna fucking kill you now, you cunt. <laughs> I think what saves the end of this movie is you've got Antonio Sabato's character comes forward after he is forced to shoot Henry Silva and he takes the magazine out of his machine gun and sees that it's empty. That it 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 is a little bit more left leaning, I feel, um, than a lot of the the other movies in the genre. That there was a bit of a statement about how, and obviously, a police state would is is terrible and would never work and would be a a complete stripping of freedom. And a lot of these movies really make a focal point to say. It, it is the church. The mafia is run by the church. The Pope is the boss of all bosses. He's the dawn of all dawns, and we miss fascism. That's what we want. And this one really gives you the flavor that, um, you know, Michela Massimo Tarantini, who's the director of this film, they weren't specifically a fascist.
Yeah, and uh, and and the villains in 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 this one aren't they part of a multinational corporation? Yeah, that's all they bring up too. What does your corporation do? It's multinational. <laughs> we're we're one of the tentacles of a big octopus. It's multinational. They don't even really specify on it. But uh, uh, as I was bringing up earlier, the whole idea of a fixer, people having to come over from America, that being a theme in its own politics is like uh, several of these movies are very loud with their sentiment on the Vietnam War where people, the police, the citizens of Italy will say, well, we feel like the poor Vietnamese and the mafia. They're like the Americans coming in. And it's really jarring because people don't, especially now, I mean, I'm I'm sure anyone over 50 remembers the Vietnam War in the United States, but it's just another war. It's just briefly covered in history books. People forget that the rest of the fucking world was absolutely disgusted and found what the United States was doing completely abhorrent, going in after the French had already left to just waste more fucking farmers, and then they got their asses kicked for it. And that's a big, big thing with the production of these movies is the Vietnam War was still raging while most of them were going on, so you kind of have this transition between... Uh, what only you could assume is is the Italians' response to the mafia, which is very real. I mean, they'll say it's not real, but these movies all come from a real place, a real era, and they're depicting the the, the brutality. I mean, in the United States, the, the 20s and moving outside of that, you had Murder, Inc., and the syndicate was formed, and there's this illustrious um, kind of grand idea of what the mafia is, that it was all this formal wear and people sitting around drinking wine and it's violence on the street, it's drugs being moved back and forth inside of children's bodies. A lot of the things that are depicted in this movies are, are legitimate stories from mm. the newspaper about the mafia that is, I, I don't want to say is now, I don't, I don't have any idea of now, but in the 70s certainly was rampant in everywhere in Italy. I don't think there's a part especially where these movies take place. Uh, Calabria, uh, Sicily, Milan, most of these areas were and are still known as mafia areas. I mean, I'm not a fucking like professor on the subject. <laughs> you're not a mafia professor. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you I told me you're a mafia this. professor. Fucking hell. <laughs> I dropped out. I dropped out. <laughs> oh, no. You need to study harder. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my mafia bachelor's, but that's about it. <laughs> And I was saying earlier that um, what I'd hoped to have for the this discussion was like a, a hero performance from Silver, a villain and an anti-hero. But I think what we got instead is, well, we got with Il Boss, um, what people consider to be a pretty great Silver movie. And then uh, with Crime Busters, a kind of middling effort. Um, and then with Cry of a Prostitute, uh, a fucking what the fuck? <laughs> but uh, but I gotta say, like Crime Busters, I I thought I think is pretty underrated. Um, I th- like, I mean, it was it's a pretty standard Euro crimer, but uh, but yeah, it was, I really dug it. Like the the music was pumping, the uh, the car chases were slamming, 
and there was loads of unnecessarily unnecessary violence. It was great. I really liked the buddy cop aspect of it. Yes, like that's what yeah. pushed things. Is is it was it was unintentionally funny with these two guys coming from completely different worlds, and and it seemed like Antonio Zapata was trying to get to know Henry Silva as mm. as an actor and a character, and I don't think there's ever going to be a getting to know him. Let me tell you, you'd be on a slab in a morgue right now weren't for the action of one of my agents. You want me to say thank you? No. I want you to describe those kidnappers. If you hadn't disappeared yesterday, we might have got a lead on them right then. Now, why the hell weren't you there to take my place? You know you cops are never anywhere to be found when you're needed. This violence is taking place in the streets. It all seems so innocent, but it's really very well calculated. So what if it is? You still can't fight it single-handed. The Lone Ranger Act is complete madness. Now, what the hell am I supposed to do? Stand by and watch people get hurt, like someone who's who's impotent? Challenging the world of power politics. You're out of your league. Yes, there are victims. But the price for order must be paid. Give the public a free hand and all you've got is trouble. Somehow we have to create a state that's strong and stable. telling me the other day that um, uh, a, a podcast and a friend that you have uh, had been trying to get an interview with Silva for just years and years and years and years and it doesn't seem like he, he intentionally kept things from people but he seems like he just didn't have anything to say that wasn't on screen. Yeah. That he was a very earnest and honest guy when it came to this is a job and I'm just I'm, I'm making sure that I have rent and I'm doing what I, I can do as a human to not hate my existence which is pretty fucking perfect and i mean i'm i'm speaking with assumption here because it's really hard to find a lot about henry silva as a person but he he just seemed to straightforward like what he did and he put a lot into it that even when he's just standing there not doing anything he he has a role he's not henry silva anymore yeah i mean it it's it just seems like an 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 unpretentious guy that uh did what he did really well and um and that's that the boss is something that I think is is sort of a quintessential mafia movie. And American mafia films have they've they've been born and died fifty times. And after The Sopranos, it's ridiculously hard to do anything that's ever going to top that. Even the guys that did The Sopranos, who did a fucking prequel to it, and timelines all fucked up. It's worse than Twin Peaks. I mean, Dale Cooper couldn't fuck a timeline up more than David Chase did for his own show. <laughs> oh man, it's it's. I like it still. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I've not seen Sopranos uh, recently enough to pick that apart. But thanks. <laughs> I can't think of anything in the last three or four years that has been even a fairly successful attempt at a mafia movie. And I don't ever hear when the discussion comes up. People talk about fucking Coppola's movies all they want to. That's fine. But what about The Boss? Ill Boss Mm. itself is like a triumphant fucking look at 
it's a it's a war between the Sicilians and the Calabrians, and you've got the actual fucking setting of Italy. I mean, what could be better? You're running through these beautiful streets. You've got Henry Silva's stone face just wasting people. And the movie's story takes so many twists and turns. Mm. It's Mafia Boss's daughter gets kidnapped, but it turns out she's a fucking, because they don't like women that much, <laughs> a sex fiend. So she doesn't mind when all these guys are raping her. She's getting off on it. And then she falls in love with Henry Silva after he beats her up a little bit and saves the day because that just has to happen, I guess. I mean, there had to be somebody checking the scripts of like, nope, nope, nobody hits a woman. We got to fucking fix that in scene three. <laughs> Nothing necessary to the plot. And then they fall in love and it, you just become entrenched with this culture of these Italian warlords fighting against each other. And it's fucking great. <laughs> Yeah, well, in, in uh, Silver's character's defense, I mean, no, it's very defensible, but I think uh, he would have viewed that as a more of an anesthetic slap to just, like, knock her out and get her out of the situation rather than, you know, rather than the fucking malice that he showed Barbara Boucher in Cry of a Prostitute. There is there's no uh, hate with with his woman beating in this one, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's it gets monotonous though, and you and you start realizing it more and more. Even I mean, we you had made the joke about Lucio Fulci, and and much of his misogyny did show on screen, but much of it was behind the scenes. But Italian horror in general never favored women, uh, and the least bit never favored anyone from the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community. It it just really was white male centric of this is it you know this is what a white guy is going to do and for the most part anyone of color anyone of a different race isn't treated well and it's i mean i'm not saying you have to look beyond it or past it it needs to be recognized but it it really is a problematic thing with the cinema but what are you going to do about 50 year old movies where everyone involved is dead well yeah and you know it's it, it was a different time and uh you know, it's it's a very Catholic country, man. You know, I grew up, uh, uh, I went to Catholic school, and uh, that's kind of what they taught us too, unfortunately. Yeah, it gets to a point where you can only fight uphill so much against something or watch the movies for what they are. And it's it's an assessment culturally when you're looking at these are these are mafia movies, especially the ones that we've been talking about here. And I, I like to think, especially like the boss, um, Fernando De Leo did that. The movie doesn't come from an altruistic right wing place. This movie is is talks a lot about oh fuck college students, I hate college kids. And what they're saying in that euphemism is I hate communists. These college kids are coming in here and they're trying to change the world, and we want things to be the way they used to be. And you you have a lot of different pieces of these pies, and I feel at some extent some of the misogyny that is interlaced into these films is to show 
the negativity of like the mafia or these corporate structures, these companies that come in and start building things and take over and destroy neighborhoods that a lot of it is trying to take away the glorification of, you know, I want to grow up and be in the mafia and things like that, that they're trying to show you these are bad people. No matter what the hero is, they're still bad guys. But I don't know. I mean, that's that's an, uh, it's an assumption on my part, but and I, I, I like to think it's a clever assumption, but for a lot of these movies, it's we got to make some money. <laughs> let's let's make some money this week. Well, yeah, that's probably the primary driver. Um, it's interesting with like all of these movies, um, you don't see um, the mafia through any sort of rose tinted glasses. I know there are some Polizia Tecci movies like uh, Fulci's Contraband, where you've got a distinction between uh, the good gangsters and the bad gangsters that want to sell you drugs and uh, and will like kidnap and rape your wife. And uh, Fabio Testi has to take them down with the help of a uh, Lucio Fulci cameo with a machine gun. But uh, but these movies are all just like, nah, these people are all fucking awful. But let's just watch it. Watch them eat each other alive. And it's kind of funny with that notion of, of where the line is crossed of, well, we don't mind when these criminals come around every week and force us to give them money for protection. We don't mind when they do things like that, but you bring drugs into the streets, goddammit. Mm. That's crossing the line. That there, There's this weird distinction between the two that are, are both abhorrently wrong for what they're doing. I mean, uh, tight-arming people for protection and money is pretty much the basis of uh, the Sicilian Mafia and what it started. We pay these people for protection, and then these organizations grow. You've got whatever La Costra Nostra is now stretching into the United States. And that, that takes us back to The Sopranos, that, that you know people would contact James Gandolfini and say that you got it. That's exactly how it is right now. This is what we do. He got a phone call one time from somebody telling him, you know what, don't wear shorts. A boss would never wear shorts, and they threw that into an episode. I think I, I'm I'm fucking rehashing shit that Michael Imperioli does on his podcast and has put in his book. But that's a fucking fascinating story that you know you're you're in this four walls of film and you're watching like like Ill Boss. This is it seems and and everything about this movie seems fake. Everything seems like it comes from a completely fictional fucking Alice in Wonderland world and every single scene is steeped in realism. It's all something that was ripped from newspapers, ripped from the minds of the people that were living through this era. And we're talking like it's 1890. It's fucking 1973. You know, it's 50 years ago. It wasn't even that far off. So what makes you think that they're gone? You know, just because... Uh, Rudolph Giuliani claims he got rid of the mafia in New York. Oh, fucking, that guy can't even tie his own fucking shoes. He shipped a bunch of homeless people all over the fucking country to bus stations to help out New York City. He's a scumbag. The mafia fucking is probably run by the goddamn Papelsey, is run <laughs> by New York City. I mean, and it's that's it's that's more politics. Well, it. Yeah, uh, well, he, he helped get the mafia into government, maybe. I don't know. Stay out of those cunts. <laughs> yeah, you didn't get them out of the city. You fucking gave them better jobs. You <laughs> you you let them build half the city with fucking no-show construction jobs run by some weird company that's that's a multinational corporation. No one can figure out how they work. And but that that really makes these movies so much more interesting is is there are constant hints that you know, it's it's in the church, it's in politics, it's in the states, and these aren't like bold 
falsities that the director is throwing out. These are rumors for years. Uh, I mean, even going to the the Medici family and the Borgias and their involvement in politics. I mean, fucking Cesare Borgia was the son of a pope. How do you be the son of a pope? What? How does that happen? Even that <laughs> sentence is fucked up. The son of a pope? What do you mean? Nothing is done by the rules, and I don't just specifically mean in Italy and Italian history. The mafia is all over. It's it's a, a, a an organic fucking organism at this point that lives and breathes all over the world. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be the mafia. I mean, going back to what we said earlier on that we weren't going to mention again, like the fucking royal family. I mean, they're just inheritors of a a fucking ancient gangster legacy. It's not coming from a, a, a place of shock. It's not like we're trying to be funny, but it's it's all real. Like, it's it's everything you're seeing is real. It's very bizarre, especially as an American watching the world weep for somebody, but, like, blacking out all the other pieces of history that involve them and come from their family and completely ignoring the fact Wales isn't celebrating, Ireland's not celebrating. Do you think the fucking Indians over there are really, really happy and and mourning and crying and, and doing all this honoring for the queen? And it's not just hate from her. I mean, we can fucking talk about Reagan and Bush and all the bastards over here for hours and hours and hours, but what makes them any different from the mafia bosses in these movies? I mean, they they don't care about the people. They don't care what's going on. It's all about money and power. Shinier hats and better PR. They have a room filled with gold. Like, the funniest fucking thing in the world to me is is the Queen of England a few months ago talking about starvation and, and people coming to England and how we need to clothe and feed the poor, mm. but they did it in a room filled of solid yeah. gold. S- s- sat on a fucking golden chair with a fucking diamond hat telling everyone we're going to go through some hard times and have to tighten our belts. Fucking take that down to the shop and trade it in exactly. and get some tins of fucking beans to the people, you bitch. I mean, what the fuck? And it's it's they're laughing at you. I mean, it's the same thing as, as Donald Trump fucking eating a well-done steak with ketchup going, we're going to build a wall. We got to build a wall because the Mexicans are going to rape everybody. They're stealing your jobs. Fucking name me one Mexican that took somebody's job. Every person that I've ever met that has that argument, who took your job? What's his name? What's what? Where did he come from? Well, I mean, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to a friend of mine. He got fired and laid off because a whole family of Mexicans. Where are these whole families of Mexicans stealing American jobs? I, I just, you know, would like to see at least one of them at once in my life. It's, it's deep-rooted xenophobia that is instilled into you from these people in power that you, you think you should be able to trust. Like, oh, the queen's not a racist. The queen that was married to Prince Philip's not a racist. All right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like head of a uh, somewhat racist institution. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Remember that time like five years ago when Prince Philip went over to China and met some English students that were studying abroad and warned them they needed to come home sooner, their eyes would get stuck together? Yeah. The queen's not a racist. Well, you, you can't be associated with something and and not be it. I'm sorry. I mean, and, and like five minutes ago, there was a whole scandal about, you know, like a, a baby's skin tone. But I, I, I don't want to talk about these cunts anymore. It's fucking tabloid trash. Fuck it. Yeah, it really makes you wonder when you look at some of the fascination, especially with 
mafia movies of where people put their allegiance with the mafia and they really like the movies because of these characters and like Goodfellas is a good example and I think at the end of that movie Martin Scorsese was trying to say strictly like this is fucking a terrible job mm. terrible way to live your life look at this guy he's a fucking rat snitch son of a bitch he mm. can't be trusted even by his own people everyone is the same and Il Boss is, is really uh, comparative in contrast because that entire movie is somebody else fucking somebody else over hmm. until the very final scene where the the presumable fucker gets fucked well yeah well, we, he's, he's, he starts out as an accomplice to the initial fucking then is then an accomplice to the counterfuck then gets fucked over himself uh, and then, <laughs> and then fucks back. He's a bit of a Carter Burke, in 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 this movie, and you kind of are sympathetic with this character throughout most of it. And the end of the movie, he really turns into Burke, which itself, I mean, uh, he's a, a rat fuck son of a bitch, as Hudson says in Aliens. But you can have a little bit of sympathy for this guy that got fucked into this position, got sent all the way out there, and all he was trying to do was make sure we don't know that Burke didn't have a wife and kids. Maybe he was just trying to get a paycheck for them. But when you start believing in the bad guys where the problem with this false heroism uh, comes in, like all the movies we've talked about have had some abhorrent treatment of women, but abhorrent treatment of, of people in general. It's, it's, it's all really, really negative and doesn't show crime at all in a fascinating, beautiful light, which is weird because especially in the 80s and in the 90s, crime movies just blossomed over here even quentin tarantino began his career with reservoir dogs it makes it look so attractive and it's like they stole the visuals and used all those visuals from italian movies without registering the point of most of these italian films where the hero either dies at the end of the movie or is so fucked over you know like at the end of el boss you know he's just going to be stuck in a mafia war who knows if he'll even survive that it's just going to be uh you know bloodshed yeah but i mean in that it like i said before in, in that movie he's pretty much golgo 13 he is uh he, he's the kind of unstoppable force um he's kind of like a he's like a mafia superhero yeah i mean really it is like i like superman like i mean he really is the man of steel even in the worst situations toward the end of the movie where you're sure he's going to get fucked over you know he's going to die it just doesn't matter it wouldn't yep. matter how many bullets got hit with him or what goes on that he's going to that's the point of this. And what you said at the beginning I think Il Boss is perfect for this is the Sicilian Terminator. Oh yeah. Like this is the fucking Terminator, man. Had James Cameron kept his original uh, concept of the uh, the Terminator being a, a more ordinary, less odd-looking guy, then Henry Silver would have been perfect because uh, I mean cuz he's he's pure menace but he's not built like a brick shithouse. Well, in the vein of people that look like Henry Silva that should have made movies with him, Lance Henriksen was going to be the Terminator. Mm. That It was his fucking gig. It was his role. And, I, you know, our, the, the first movie is a slasher film to me. I've always really felt the Terminator is nothing but an Italian slasher movie, and I can't help but think... I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's it's a five-star movie. I fucking love it. Oh, so yeah. if, I, I don't want anyone oh, to think I'm shit-talking it. Hell yeah. But I would just <laughs> adore uh, just the idea, the thought. I wish there was test footage. I wish there was at least a photograph of Lance Henriksen in the costume. The idea of him being the Terminator is so much more scary, and it, it it's because he's normal-looking, 
But I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to insult Lance Hendrickson, but just like Henry Silva, he had an actor's face. Mm. It was a very, very particular face, and they're kind of similar guys that his career um, differed in in the beginning. Lance Hendrickson wanted to 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 get out of the situation he was in. He couldn't read and he couldn't write, and he wanted to become an actor. And they they told him, you know, you can't read or write. Join the military or something. Become a man and come back in a few years. So he went and joined the Navy, and he he saw some action, and he learned how to read and write by studying movie scripts and came back and said, I'm ready for this. And even his early work, you've got Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He started off knowing, I got a face, and I can use this face and get into roles. And, I mean, uh, late 70s, mid, mid to late 70s, Lance Henriksen starts appearing everywhere, and then, bam, aliens, near dark. He just became... Uh, probably more successful overnight, I wouldn't say overnight, but in the period of a decade than Henry Silva got to be. But I think a lot of that comes to Silva went to Italy and that everyone, I think, thought that era was going to be a lot more than it was. A lot of people did it. Um, you, you, you would go over there and they would pay you cash. You would get twice as much money and be able to do five movies in a month. And then it you know, what, 1968 to, I'd say, like, 84, 85 just fucking died. The Italian filmmaking machine yep. changed. Yeah, well, it, it petered out of the, um, in the early 80s, didn't it? And, uh, and, and, and then... All the fucking filmmakers died, too. I mean, you had all these guys that were born in, like, 1890 that had been running the Italian films, uh, you know, literally everything, like Argento's father and... Mario Bava, all these guys were were a hundred years old, and their kids, I don't think, gave as much. You know, it, it turned into such a a genre based thing that I don't think that there was an expanse to make more anymore. That art films kind of fucking died with Fellini. I mean, Fellini had his thing going on, but going what into the eighties, it was like art films took a change. But uh, you know, don't 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 knock Lamberto. Fucking Dimoni, fucking rules, man. I mean, uh, it's it's not necessarily a problem with genre, but previously you you had such an expanse of films that were coming out of Italy. You had every single genre on the planet, and then moving into the 70s, it just became... I mean, uh, art fucking existed. Pasolini, until he got his head run over multiple times by his own fucking car. There were a lot of people doing uh, bold and anti-fascist art pieces, but you get more horror and exploitation than anything else till it, it that genre just died. It, and, you know, you've got Jaws, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. All those movies came out in the late 70s, and the blockbuster was born, so who had time for... Mm these cheap Italian slashers, you know, it just wasn't, nobody was going to make money off these when you were competing with fucking E.T. and stuff like that. And then the the knockoffs began. That's where that whole era of, you know, a, a, an American movie would come out and then 700 Italian knockoffs would be following in the next three days. Sometimes I even like those more. I mean, I've I've never been a, a big Star Wars fan. I have nothing against it, but I love watching Italian Star Wars knockoffs. Oh, Aliens knockoffs, they're beautiful. They're great. All of those Escape from New York knockoffs, which wasn't even a massively successful movie over here, but over there, fuck. <laughs> they ran with it. They loved it. Yeah, dude. Uh, 2019, after the fall of New York, which somehow rips off... Uh, Escape from New York, Mad Max, and somehow Planet of the Apes. It's uh, it's pure cinema. Bronx Warriors. Oh, yeah. There's just so many from that era. Escape from the Bronx as well. Oosh. 
we can really plan a beautiful Italian knockoff show mm. sometime soon, because that's just a hoot to go through those fucking movies. This era of Italian film we're, we're talking about really does, I think, have some of the richest soundtracks of, of film history. Mm. And it's it's almost all of them are originals. It's not like they're lifting music from anywhere else or it's public domain music. It's just these just beyond batshit fucking soundtracks, heavy on bongos and weird sitars and heavy horn sections. You'll never hear anything quite like it. I mean, you one of my favorite soundtracks isn't a Eurocrime film, but uh, uh, Vampire Lesbos. Fucking uh, Tarantino actually used the soundtrack in Jackie Brown, uh, one of the, the Lion and the Cucumber, one of the greatest fucking songs on the entire soundtrack. You just can't get it out of your system. Some of these movies run, and you can sit through them beyond the misogyny and some of the abhorrent behavior just because the fucking soundtracks are so good. Yeah, um, well, without knowing specifics, and uh, I think there was a lot of pool of, um, of, of the same musicians involved in a lot of these. Um, I mean, with the horror stuff, a lot of the musicians were members of Goblin. I may be incorrect, and this is just uh, a thought I was having while watching the movie earlier today. There's a couple pieces of the Boss soundtrack that alarmingly sound like the some of the, some pieces from the Cannibal Holocaust soundtrack, and I didn't have the time to look up and go through who who did that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was reused stuff. And it wasn't a full song; it's just kind of a thumping bass track mm-hmm. that um, is very very similar, maybe possibly slowed down for Cannibal Holocaust, but it it fits into just what you were saying. There was a great deal of nepotism because all these guys were. I mean, it was like. 25 people pretty much that were all working in the same area and doing the exact same thing so every studio just called them quite like uh, Japanese films and especially tokusatsu in the the 60s going into the 1970s between all of these studios it was really easy to call somebody and say like hey can I get that Godzilla suit for a weekend (laughs) we're gonna make it somebody we're gonna paint it and change it a little bit and it's gonna be a new monster and we'll give it back to you you really had a network of filmmaking where you could bounce from studio to studio and person to person because they were all on the same street. It was such a, a huge part of the culture. It was a huge part of the society in you know, Italy, film and wine. Like you had those things, France, film and wine. <laughs> Two of these you know, massive imports and then one day it just kind of disappeared. It just kind of, the industry fell apart and uh, like I was saying, the blockbusters really caused most of these industries that we we talk about we we like so much to really die because you just couldn't keep up with things like jaws you couldn't keep up with star wars and then these guys start getting 200 300 million dollars to make a movie and over in italy they're still working with a fifty thousand dollar budget for five days of shooting oh man i'd watch a hundred henry silver films before i watch another star wars movie even if henry silva was in star wars at this point I'd watch that fucking hell. I mean, he'd be, he'd be the Sith to end all Siths. Like fucking Darth Silver, come on. Or some some really great Grand Moff sort of character, some some really destroyer of worlds sort of things. And uh, you even look at the the first Star Wars movies. Obviously, they were trying to have a, an extent of exploitation using some of the Hammer actors that they used and some of the people that made the movie uh, Star Wars is an exploitation film I mean it's an exploitation of Japanese movies and all sorts of yeah, shit but yeah, it's not the type of exploitation we like well Star Wars is fine like the first 
three Star Wars movies are fine. Like, they're fine. It's just a shame that it caused this sort of, <laughs> I don't know, like this, this fucking cultural rot that we're now living through. I, I'm, I think we've talked about it and uh, dusted it off before. I have nothing against Star Wars. I don't hate it. It just wasn't uh, It wasn't really a thing for me growing up. It didn't touch me. I didn't have any specific character. But I was a weird kid that I, I was into shit like Yojimbo. I was really, like, Last Man Standing when I was 10 years old. I discovered that and thought, this is the coolest thing in the world. And I had no clue what Yojimbo or, or A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More good, bad, and the ugly was. I, I had no idea. I just knew I liked that sort of thing. So I've always been kind of fucked when it comes to <laughs> relating to a lot of uh, things from my childhood. And I always felt that I had a bit more of a, a UK sense. Like, Judge Dredd was really important to me growing up. I always I was enamored with him. And it wasn't ever like Luke Skywalker. It was, no, I am the law. Yeah, Judge Dredd is, is, is excellent. Um yeah, I grew up reading uh, 2000 AD, and uh, those stories are fantastic. And it's not that Star Wars aren't. I mean, I'm sure there's fantastical stories to be told. I think we got over the debacle of which movies uh, I, I have actually seen on the inebriation dedication. And I've been planning one day, sure, I'm going to sit down and waste about 89 hours of my life. I'm going to watch everything. I really, really want to watch Book of Boba Fett. I like Robert Rodriguez. I, I love that western feel to things sounds fucking cool it's all of it seems neat it's okay um the mandalorian does a better job of that um uh, yeah it, it's it's fine like you know if, if you like if you get covid and you and, and you, you and you, you can't do anything else then watch all the star wars that's where it's there for but you know that's it you know yeah, for me, I would just much rather try and find as much Eurocrime dramas as humanly as possible. I could sit and watch all of these Star Wars films, but there are still fucking Italian crime movies I've not seen, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, like, if, if, that's what I'm saying. If if you're ill, then uh, Star Wars won't, uh, won't en engage as many uh brain cells as uh as, as some henry silver movies might you won't uh you won't be taken aback by uh some of the uh treatment of the characters as much as you would yeah you know no one gets fucked into a pig in star wars as yet a few years ago we did uh alexander nash and myself did a star trek series and it was the the first six original the original series Star Trek movies, Kirk and Spock and all those guys. And I had seen Wrath of Khan. I'm aware of Star Trek. I, I'm not that much of a fucking dullard that I hadn't seen it before. But I most from for the most part I was rewatching or for the most part I was watching all of those films for the very first time and getting to know the characters that I'd never I knew who they were. I knew Spock was an alien that didn't have emotion. I knew who Kirk was and that he was very bravado and got into a lot of trouble because of that, but I'd never taken the time to to watch these characters and watch these actors give them nuances and if anything for defensive star wars i think what makes that series so incredible is a lot of the performances you get from these these actors that weren't household names until they did these movies they were just kind of normal guys with star trek they became famous because of it so you you're kind of progressing with pushing these characters and, and forwarding their egos and making more and more out of it. And with Star Wars, you had kind of the opposite of the, the samurai-esque 
movement of it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter where they come from, we're all moving toward the greater good. And I think there's a little bit more positivity and like a triumphant nature with them, which also can cross back into the mafia films we've been discussing that it's alarming how how much and many of these movies really push almost like a non-political ideology of the mafia. Like, yeah, no, they're all right. Don't worry about it. They th- This movie's about them killing all the bad guys, and then the mafia gets to be good again as to where it's like, well, what about democracy or, pol- you know, fuck it. Fuck all that. It's the mafia. And you kind of have this uh, empirical kind of statement of, like, no matter what, at the end of the day, they're still going to be here. And that really seems, with the, the newer Star Wars series, what they've they've been pushing for is, you know, you've got the Empire dies and then the whole new whatever-the-fuck Empire with the guy from grandma's boy i know it's not the same guy but it's it's robot legs to me i don't care it's the guy with robot legs i've not seen them the only time i actually have seen any of the new star wars is i was at a burger joint in kentucky with i alexander nash and he hit me on the shoulder and said hey look at the tv and it was when han solo got killed by his own son and i went oh well i've seen that yeah all right yeah that's it. That's all. Oh, spoilers. Han Solo dies. Like, I'm the, those sorry. those new movies were just basically like, whose line is it anyway? Because uh, you know there was no plan for them, and they had uh, originally three different directors, but the uh, but J.J. Abrams came back to direct the last one. But it was just it was just make it up as you go along. Like it was like you know, like like Twin Peaks, where it sucked. <laughs> Is, doesn't fucking Ron Howard direct one of them now? Uh, he, like, he, like he did the he did the solo movie because they sacked the guys that did the Lego movie for making it too good. Maybe I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, that kind of brings me into a, a back to the the studio thing. I was talking about Italian studios, and it it really was uh based on that that you you were a contract player you would get hired for work lucio fulci didn't give a fuck about horror well that's not true he did it at an extent but when he first began he didn't give a flying fuck about horror he wanted to make romantic comedies he wanted to make uh and said funnily enough so did fucking george romero that these guys didn't get into the game to do what they did Mm. but the difference between romero and fulci is fulci was fucking a contract player and they said we're gonna pay you and you do this and he said okay (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Fulci made mostly comedies. I think even a lot of his horror films, even like The Beyond, it could be deeply considered a comedy, especially when you get to the end of the movie and you find out no matter what they did, it, they were damned to begin with. That that's funny. That's kind of him laughing at, at the entire audience, putting them in this damnation, and I, I think the end of the, the Beyond is... It's worthy of crying. It's upsetting. That ending is so dark and so dismal. It doesn't make you want to have hope for tomorrow. And I, I think he was laughing at us all with it. <laughs> that it, it was very comedic to him. But, of course, Fulci was a very sardonic and different type of person. He, he, he had a lot of darkness about him. And it's not a bad thing. He just constantly had it in his life. I don't think the guy had a lot of peace. Yeah, he had a pretty uh, horrendous personal life. Have you seen uh, that uh, interview documentary, um, Fulci Talks, which is... I haven't yet. I've really wanted It's to. great. It's, um, it's included as an extra feature on the Arrow release of Demonia, and it's almost worth buying Demonia for, but Demonia is fucking dreadful. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, what it would mean for me is I have to buy Demonia again. Oh, no. 
and I don't know if I want to. I might. Maybe I'll send you my first fucking copy. Oh, I don't, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that Severin one. Get the fuck out of here. Not nothing against those people, but yeah, I got um. They put those out a few years ago, and I, I did the whole set that they put out just because it's Fulci. I, I gotta have it because it's Fulci, yeah. and that doesn't help you. That just because you love somebody doesn't mean that they do good things. And the definitely same thing can be said with Henry Silva that. I, 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 128 to 130 films mm. uh, in his entire career, not counting yeah, TV. They can't all be good. <laughs> and even the ones that we we pinpointed to talk about on this episode, I'd, I, I'm not going to say, you know, my, my rating for them, I think the lowest one was um, three and a half stars for Crime Buster, and everything else is a straight four stars for me. I, I think they're great movies, but that doesn't define whether they're good or not. That's my personal fucking opinion on the matter. Yeah, I, I went four stars and Crime Busters too, just for the fucking chases and that and that ending. Uh, I was just like, I, I, I read some people on Letterboxd were giving it shit to saying that it was kind of boring. I was like, what fucking movie were you watching? You better end. Like, Jesus. Not one thing is boring in that movie. And and what really made it for me is is feeling any form of emotion. Henry Silva gets shot, and I was pissed. I, I immediately was like, fuck this movie. I wasted all my fucking time watching this movie, and they kill him at the end of it. And then, guy walks over, Sabato walks over and takes the fucking magazine out of his gun, and you find it was empty. And in those few seconds, it made that turmoil so worth it just to know that's how you end a fucking movie, folks. That's how you write the fucking end of a movie. And it was powerful. It fucking worked. And it takes it, it takes everything to build up to that point to do something with a character. And all of that was Henry Silva. He, he's some fucking guy in a brown coat and a beret that hardly talks the entire movie. And somehow, at the end, you're still fucking screaming because he got shot. And his... his uh... Fair play is his performance as he's uh, as he's going out and he and he uh, touches his uh, former almost friend was uh, was was perfection. And then he smiles. He he had that like half grin on his face, that Ellen Barkin kind of grin. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> not really a smile. You know, <laughs> wait till you see. <laughs> And then it goes straight to the credits. You just get that bombastic, awesome sound, and everything flows from that point. It's funny, he said once that in the United States, they always think I'm a bad guy. But over in Italy, I'm the hero. And even in these movies where he's the bad guy, you, you can't translate them any differently. When you, when you take the dubs, there's such a fucking difference between what they actually say. That the, in the American dubs, make these characters almost sympathetic. Try to make them more approachable and when you when you read and you go through the original Italian version everyone's sharp everyone has almost nothing to say it's all about death and money there's no friendship there's no unique like likability to these characters you don't get to even know who they are but the dubs kind of rewrite themselves to bring it to American audiences we got to have a hero we have to have somebody that we can rely on and you don't you don't need and it takes me back to Mad Max I mean the first movie 
you sympathize with him because they kill his family, and that's why he becomes mad. But the second movie, he's just some asshole on the road. Third movie, he... Well, fuck it. We're not talking about the third movie. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no offense to Thunderdome. Or, it, or, or it's uh, like uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I mean, you know, Clint Eastwood isn't the good in that movie. There is no good. He's just a guy. And that's what, I mean, you've got the whole uh, man in black idea. You've got something like Night of the Hunter, even Dust Devil, the Richard Stanley film. Just this character that is in its trench coat and this black hat and they appear. We know nothing of them, good or bad. I like Dust Devil for that reference because the character is something ancient. And, and who is any of us to give an idea of what that is. It's some primordial force that has been here longer than we have, and the characters in the movie are the ones that decide it's evil, and, and I think it's something beautiful. Even Night of the Hunter, I mean, that character could be almost one and the same as the Dust Devil, this just chaotic creature that has existed from nowhere. But obviously in Night of the Hunter, we're given the allowance to know that he's not a good guy. <laughs> not not the happiest of campers. <laughs> I mean, trying to kill two kids for 90 minutes kind of paints a picture of a bad guy. Ninety-four years isn't a bad run. Uh, you've you've got a legacy that I don't think most people can contend with. And I I had brought up like Lance Henriksen and Harry Dean Stanton and Dick Miller earlier. All of those guys have really really lengthy and historied careers, and it's somewhat amazing when you go back and see some of the movies that they've appeared in, and you've not even noticed. Especially with Henry Silva, the the younger he was the more Mexican he was. He was constantly painted brown and given long hair to either be a Mexican or a Native American, and you miss him. You you really miss him. It's like a fucking Bobby Busalil, Manson family mm. Bobby. <laughs> they just used to paint him brown and throw him in porn movies and call him an Indian. And it, it passed at the time period, uh, you know, discussing things like misogyny and how uh, embroiled Italian films can be with a lot of misogyny and, and just pure, absolute disrespect to anyone that isn't white. American films have done the same thing. I mean, you, you paint a bunch of fucking white guys brown instead of hiring Mexicans. That's kind of fucked up. <laughs> it's it's a, a, a not the best ending note for things, but yeah, all the studios are assholes. I'm sorry. Well, I, I mean, there's several Godzilla films where uh, there's a bunch of uh, gravied up Japanese people uh, playing Islanders, but you know, maybe they maybe they work with what they had. I don't know. The worst part about those movies is they would only paint like the first ten people. So if you keep looking into the background, you just see them get more and more and more pale. Like nobody even gave a shit. They didn't even paint the kids. Fuck them. But I mean, yeah, those characters are from a made-up island. That who's to say they wouldn't be orange Japanese people? I don't know. It's 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 not pointless to bring it up because these things need to be acknowledged and they need to be talked about. But yeah, we we have tried to make a clear path of obviously what's right and wrong. A lot of depictions of women and and just fucking humans in general. People are never shown the right way in Italian films. There's always going to be another step of of mysticism, but it's that extra step of 
flavor, I guess, punching the character into something else. These aren't real people, and even though I've been ranting, it's all steeped in realism. I think the the point, especially from, uh, let's just say 1970 to around 1980, with a lot of these exploitation films, a lot of these police action movies, was to help show some light on the struggles of, of Italy politically. And I think a lot of the filmmakers were afraid to make deeper political statements because of, like, fucking Pasolini got his head run over, and it wasn't just because he fucked kids. He did. <laughs> he definitely did. But that wasn't the sole reason of, of his death. And that's a fucking different story for another day. But you look at these crime movies that came from the influence of Italian movies in the United States, they lack that, and they don't have that meaning because we hide it here. You know, you don't ever want the puppets to know that there's some fucking dark emperor hiding over it as to where the Italian police movies specifically tried to show the faults of everyone that the mafia, the police, blah, blah, blah. It's like the fucking wire. You know, you, you watch the gangsters and then you watch the cops. I don't know. The wire. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a shitty reference. I just, I'm like, yeah, it's like the wire. Yeah, just like the wire. Like, you know, that, that, that episode <laughs> where McNulty like fucks Omar into a pig. Season two, episode three, everyone's favorite. Uh, that's when Tom Waits did the soundtrack. You can't hate that. Uh, at least the dichotomy of the, the good and bad, but it's it's really strange how much of this seems like mafia-produced movies of, well, how much it seems, how many of these were actually fucking mafia-produced movies of, hey, stop making us look like a bad guy. Stop telling people we're bad. Just make a movie where the mafia guy kills everybody and he gets a nice house. And then maybe people will want to join us and have a nice house. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I said earlier, I mean, like it was a reaction to the uh, like you know tumultuous uh, environment in Italy in the seventies, where there uh, was a lot of crime and violence and all this stuff, and uh, and it was maybe it was viewed through a sort of um, right wing wank fantasy lens, but. Uh, but it, yeah, at least it was unflinching in its portrayal of the nastiness. Um, you know, it's it's not sugarcoating anything. Well, even returning to the some something like The Sopranos, I don't think that show ever meant to glorify being a mobster. But if you watch all six seasons of The Sopranos and don't want to become one, what the fuck's wrong <laughs> with you? I mean. <laughs> There's there's nothing more than joining Tony's crew that sounds like a good... At least I'm going to have a nice TV. You know, it's <laughs> it's not going to be that bad. Might have to kill some people or smother my nephew, but it's not going to be that bad. And with that, I mean, you have... Uh, there There's always good and all the bad, but God damn it. You've got the boss, crime busters, cry of a prostitute. It's all good. These are all quality movies that are going to make you feel something. Uh, it might be disgust. It might be absolute hatred. But goddamn, it's a lot more fun than watching. It's a lot better than the mainstream movies that you're going to be facing in the next few years. Right now, we're getting a whole new series of Transformers. But this time, it's the animals. I don't care. We're going to have 50 new Star Wars movies, all these TV shows. You're not getting anything more than mass-produced bullshit. Go back to the 70s and, and live through some incredibly xenophobic, misogynistic hate films. That'll get your heart pumping. Or sending hate letters to Death by DVD because we said watch this movie and you fucking hated it. <laughs> I don't care anymore.
So yeah, I think we managed to adequately insult the royal family as as well as honor the legacy of, of Henry Silva. If you took anything out of this, watch some Henry Silva movies. Just go through his IMDb list and look at some of the art that this man was able to create throughout his life. And some of it's fucking tremendous. Oh, man, we didn't even mention Alligator. Oh, we didn't. Which is is one of the most well-known Henry Silva fucking appearances. And a brilliant movie. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a giant fucking alligator. What more could you and want? And it's Robert Forster given a very Robert Forster performance and just grinding the shit out of a ridiculous film. And then you've got uh, Henry Silver coming in as a sort of evil Quint from Jaws. And uh, it's, it's, it's gold. It lives 50 feet beneath the streets it's 36 feet long it weighs over 2,000 pounds and it's about to break out we're looking at the one we saw and it was big you said it was dark now perhaps you're mistaken half that size would starve in a week. He kept coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewers. Alligators in the sewers? Once it escaped, there was no way to stop it. The safety of the public is my job. It could be anywhere. There he is. Ready to attack at any moment. Now I've seen what this animal can do. You better take all the help you can get. believed it. Now, no one will forget. Alligator. The cool thing about Alligator is you can actually watch why Robert Forrester did the movie, and it's because of those hair plugs <laughs> that he had just gotten. Like He was definitely paying for those. And you can tell the movie was shot over a period of time because the first 20 minutes he just had gotten the hair plugs and then by the end of the movie it's actually like coming mm-hmm. in. Like he's He can do the comb over again and the next 20 years of his life he fucking had hair. But it, that's the biggest thing for me. Look at that fucking comb over. It's amazing. That man paid for like $20,000 worth of hair and it worked. Watch him in Jackie Brown. He looks yeah. great. Looks fantastic. Those hair plugs were worth it, and we all thank Alligator for it. The The long story for this episode is to watch Jackie yeah, Brown. Just fucking go watch it's that. It's Tarantino's <laughs> best film. Uh, and 
and it's it's his best ripoff of the era that we're talking exactly. about. He he yes. loves this era, like this and Pulp Fiction. Fucking Pam Grier, I mean, come on. Uh, you can't tell me that that guy doesn't love exploitation movies. And it's you you said this at the beginning of the show, but man, I, I don't give a fuck about his movies. But that guy is a dude. Yeah, I would yes. stand in his video store and talk to uh, him. Yeah, for like hours, days. Uh, well, yeah, uh, I'm always I. Yeah, I I love to hear him talk, and I'm always happy for his success because, uh, uh, you know, he he <laughs> he 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 represents his people, and he puts uh, Pam Green in movies. Well, a movie. <laughs> Jackie Brown also holds way before Rob Zombie did it a performance from Sid Haig, which reunites Sid and 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 Pam Greer for the first time since like 1972 or so. I thought that was pretty and awesome. Fair play, uh, I have similar respect uh, for uh, for Rob Zombie for the same reason, um, at, at least until I see the Munsters film. I have a fun story. Uh, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, a guy's been dead for like 10 years now. So a decade ago, I was hanging out with David Hess, Ooh. and I asked him, what do you think about Rob Zombie? What do you think about Quentin Tarantino? You know, they, they take these old guys, they put them back into movies, and Richard Lynch was at dinner with us, and he was really, really proud. He just shot some scenes for Rob Zombie for the Halloween movies, and he, he was talking about how great Rob was as a guy, and David kind of looked down and swirled his glass of wine a little bit and was like, fuck those guys. Oh. Fuck them both. They like to take old people and put them in movies. What about me? <laughs> and I, I, I really, that that's a, a personal sentiment that has kind of always stuck with me of, God damn, David Hess in a Ooh. Quentin Tarantino movie. But David, did you ever... Do you ever call Quentin? Do you ever find him? I mean, how hard is it to find this guy? You're the guy from Last House on the Left. I guarantee you, if David Hess had gone to Quentin Tarantino, Quentin would have been at his fucking door knocking. Like, yo, let's work. He should have played the De Niro part in Jackie Brown. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I, I love Jackie Brown, but I kind of hate Robert De Niro in that movie. I don't. He's, he, he he's, really he's fine, but if he'd have been David Hess, then there you go. Well, he just—he's—he just is Robert De Niro turned off, kind of mumbling, and doesn't offer us a whole. And that's his character. That's—that's—it's that's coming from a novel, and he's really pinning that novel home. But anybody with more expression, and I—I I, I hate to sound like Vincent fucking Gallo here, who has actually not threatened to kill me this year. <laughs> I'm kind of worried about him, Vincent. If you're out there, I'm still around. I miss you. We—we—we uh, we, we haven't argued in quite some time. You—you you bring me so much joy with your hatred of me. Please, Vincent Gallo, where are you at? But I don't fucking like Robert De Niro that much. I don't hate him. I think he's a great actor. I just don't find most of his performances to... I mean, This Boy's Life, that movie will fuck you over. That's a psychologically destructive movie, beautiful performance from Leonardo DiCaprio as well. But, um, I don't know, nine times out of ten, unless it's heat. Yeah, I don't oh, care. Man. It's Robert De Niro being grumpy. He's very... I mean, you've got the early De Niro... Oof. Like uh, mean, mean, mean streets. streets, taxi driver, Brazen Bull, King of Comedy. Uh, oh, and then you've got Meet the Falcons. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, don't. yeah, all, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, Al 
Pacino's not out there fucking dragging his balls through the fucking glass doing this type of shit, Robert. I don't know what's up with you. Yeah, that's a great way to end the show. Fuck Robert De Niro. <laughs> I think I, I think I prefer Harvey Keitel to both of those guys. Anyway. You shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. That's the one that you really wish that Marty had worked with and had just kept going. They had those first few movies together. He pops up every now and again, but come on, Harvey Keitel, of Reservoir Dogs mm. alone, Mr. Fucking White. If he ain't the fucking best, I don't know what is. You're only allowed to actually like Mr. White or Mr. Blonde. That's it. Nobody, <laughs> you can't like anybody else. Fuck Mr. Pink. He doesn't even say anything. I mean, like fucking bad lieutenant. Like uh, you know, De Niro and Pacino never never did like awkward fucking cry dances with their cock out in a church, did they? Show us your cock, De Niro. Fucking coward. Show us your fucking <laughs> cock. Yeah, what what are you so afraid of? What what are you worried about? Harvey Keitel's packing a solid six inches, and he showed it to the fucking world, and it was glorious. <laughs> It's one of the best scenes in that movie. Just cracked out, fucking crying and screaming. It's fucking amazing. Speaking of which, I saw uh, Breaking the Waves the other day. Stalin Skarsgård fucking getting his old chap out. Fair play. Is it good? Yeah. On my watch list for tonight, I gotta check that one out. All the Skarsgårds are fucking it's, amazing. There's not one in that family that's yes, not gold. Yes, they are the anti-Baldwins. They are, they're great. I was going to make a joke about Alec Baldwin, but he writes them himself. <laughs> I don't I don't need to do that. But yeah, I guess we've gotten to the end of our Henry Silva extravaganza. It's not so much an extravaganza, but I hope, if you're listening to this, that if you didn't know who the guy was, we've excited you to watch some of his films. He wasn't just a, a blurb, not just a charismatic actor with an esteemed history. He did a lot of brilliant films, and some of the performances, even brief. Uh, I was talking about Code of Silence. It's a Chuck Norris movie from 1985. It's a, it's a greatly produced movie. A lot of money went into that. Dennis Farina's in it. takes place in Chicago, so of course Dennis Farina has to be in it. It's a fun film. What makes it? is the brief screen time Henry Silva has. He had the beautiful ability of taking an entire production over just because of his ability. He was, and I'm sure most of it came from learning and working in Italy. Films were shot so differently there. No sound. You you really had to get your shots and what you were doing downright because they didn't have money to do two or three fucking takes. You had to get it done. He lived 94 years, and I'd like to say it's a shame that he's still not with us, but I, I do believe he lived a full and happy life. He was a proud and wonderful father, husband, brilliant talent, and an artist that we will hopefully never forget. I hope you always remember the power of Henry Silva. Character actors are what makes movies. You gotta look at those yeah. guys. Dick fucking Miller. Like, Gremlins would be nothing without Dick oh, yeah. Miller. Sometimes it's just the character. Yeah, and uh, bringing it back around to the thing I said I wasn't going to talk about again. This is like um, a marked difference uh, between the passing of two people, um, their ages two years apart. The one is a celebration of his life's work, and like, well, he lived a long time, had a good life. I mean... You know, it's sad there anyone has to fucking die, but, you know, we all do. And, uh, and you know, let's just, like, talk about and remember him and enjoy, you know, what he did rather than this fucking mawkish, forced 
bullshit. Why can't I go to the shop and buy some fucking beer? Because they're shut because a fucking 96-year-old woman died who did nothing but fucking... But keep everyone poor and fucking spend money on a fucking crystal hat. I don't know. And fucking paid 12 million off to some lady because her son's a pedo. God save the queen. We mean it, man. <laughs> thanks, thanks, John Lydon. You fucking miserable piece of shit. If anything, I'm the maddest over the fucking guy from the Sex Pistols pausing on Facebook going, Oi, you know what? We've got to respect the Queen, though. She was a bit of a nice lady. Fuck Uh, you. uh, Fucking Sex Pistols are a boy band anyway. Fuck those cunts. As an American, I can certainly say the Queen of England didn't ever do anything for me. But Henry Silva sure did. How many fucking Eurocrime classics did Elizabeth star in? Absolutely fucking none, and that's a travesty that we are mourning this person who doesn't even have one good IMDb credit. <laughs> like, uh, and Henry Silver never ate up any of my fucking tax money to buy him a new yacht or anything. He just made some wicked fucking films and bought his own yacht. Henry Silver's children never hung out with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, there there are some, some pros and cons that we can make a list of that it's going to lead toward Henry Silver. <laughs> Always winning it. September 23rd, 1926, Henry Silva was born. September 14th, 2022, he's gone with the wind. I hope what we were able to do with this show was at least show some interest. Get you interested in Henry Silva. I don't expect everyone to know who he is. Do you like Ocean's Eleven? You seen that movie with George Clooney? He's in the original one. He's actually, <laughs> it's the movie he retired over. He did Ocean's Eleven, the, the 2001, and left that. Manchurian Candidate. So many historic films that are a part of not just American culture, but film culture in general. I think Henry Silva is a magnificent example of a long-gone era, that he was a, a studio tool that was beaten and whipped and dragged behind fucking horses playing Mexicans and Native Americans, nothing that was ever himself, and he got this golden, beautiful opportunity in the 1960s to go over to Italy. An an Italian-Spanish-American that spoke these languages, he flourished, and some of the roles and some of the performances that he was able to put on are are fucking mind-bending. Some of the movies that you love with all your heart, like Pulp Fiction, would have never ever happened without Henry Silva, and I'm daring enough to say that I don't think the career of Quentin Tarantino would have ever happened without some of these films. If he hadn't sat and watched movies like The Italian Connection when he was 14 and 15 years old working at a video store, that prick would have never fucking made Reservoir Dogs. And that prick is a, a, a sentiment. He's a nice prick. I, <laughs> I mean it in a nice way, the British way, when they call people cunts, you know, he's my yeah. friend. A cunt is your friend, a mate is, is a cunt. That's how it works. Yeah, like uh, no ill will to Tarantino. Like uh, fair play. I, I mean, like um, 
probably to a greater extent than we are doing right now. He's keeping this this shit alive, you know, as well. Well, you got to look at some of the achievements. I mean, people wouldn't have seen the Beyond if it wasn't for Sage Stallone and Quentin Tarantino and Grindhouse. I mean, uh, say, uh, Sly Sylvester Stallone was the silent partner in getting that company off the ground, but all the original Grindhouse releases were through Tarantino's uh, original label. I can't remember the name of the label now. Oh um, God, uh, a band apart. He uh, he had an exploitation label specifically though. That was named something oh. else. But the my very first copy of The Beyond, I used to have this DVD set, and it was the very first fucking release of it. Tarantino's name's on the back of it. Some of the classics we love now that Blue Underground, Severin, Vinegar Syndrome put out, the fucking reels were only found because of Quentin Tarantino, Roger Avery, these guys' uh, obsession and fascination, the great Sage Stallone. Sage was somebody that I was very proud to be able to call a friend. I miss him and love him dearly. His work, Tarantino's work, is is a giant chunk of what we try to do on this show. We're we're a tiny little worm, you know. Let's let's do the crow here. I'm a little worm on a big fucking hook compared to the work of Tarantino. We might shit talk him, but you know, Rolling Thunder. Of course, how the fuck could you forget it? One of the greatest goddamn fucking movies on the planet. William Devane and Tommy Lee Jones. We'll end this episode telling you to go fucking watch Rolling Thunder starring William Devane and Tommy Lee Jones. It's it's not Italian and Henry Silva's not in it, but <laughs> go watch Rolling Thunder. God fucking damn. And yeah, fuck the queen. Long live the king. The real king. One of the kings, one of the many kings of Italian exploitation cinema. Henry Silva, R.I.P. And with that, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. All hail King Silva. Until next time, you have been listening to Death by DVD. Cheers. Adios. <laughs> Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. on top of the blue crystal sunshine mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building.